Okay, so today is a part two, talking about weakness, seeking his presence through our own weakness, through confronting weakness. As we looked at last week, I want to quickly review a couple key ideas and then press into the story of Abram and Sarai. Sarai, not sure how to say that, so I'll just pick one, Sarai. The natural human tendency when we feel weakness is to run from it, to recoil, to even try to hide. I pointed to the Garden of Eden last week as kind of a primary example of the first time that humanity was confronted with their own weakness, their own vulnerability through sin. The response was to sow on fig leaves and then hide in the bushes from God. So there is a physical, spiritual, emotional hiding from one another and from God. That is the result of when we feel the weakness of our own vulnerability due to, to sin and our imperfections. And if, we were, if we're honest with our own lives, that's most likely going to be something we can identify with as a default response. When we feel weak, when we feel vulnerable, do you just kind of expose it out there? Hey, here's my weakness. Here's my vulnerability. Yeah, right. <laughs> you hide it. It's normal. You sew on the fig leaves. That's why 1 John 1, 5 to 9 is such an important passage. It tries to encourage us to confront weakness. It says, live in the light. Don't call God a liar and pretend like you don't have any sin and weaknesses. They're there. Expose them. Allow them to come into the light so that in God's light they can be forgiven and we can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. But it also says when we don't expose those things, we don't bring it into the light, we call God a liar and we are going to be cutting off relationship with God and each other. Fellowship with God and each other, it says specifically. And that's, that's the challenge right there, is that we've, we're, we're going to all feel that weakness in some way, and it might not be physical weakness. We're talking about emotional and spiritual. When things get hard, do you just kind of run from it? Do you sweep it under the rug? Do you try to avoid it? Do you wish it wasn't there? Do you just ignore it? Or do you confront it with courage head on and say, this is bad fruit. God wants better. I'm going after this. The Word of God encourages us is meant to put courage in us to confront weakness because we are forgiven and will be cleansed. And we looked at that in the story of the Apostle Paul when he was going through a very challenging time, a season of trial, insults, persecution, and he just wanted God to make it go away. And famously, in 2 Corinthians 12.10, God speaks prophetically to him, answers his prayer in the words that say, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And it's this amazing response from God where he's teaching that this, this spiritual secret, if you will, the very core of our relationship with God, that confronting our weakness is where we will encounter the strength of his presence and be transformed confronting our weakness is where we encounter the power of his presence 
and are transformed. The word perfect in there is even huge. Just reviewing quickly from last week because it's so crucial to build. The word perfect in there where God says, it's my power that's made perfect in your weakness. That word perfect has a sense of destiny on it. It's the word telos in the Greek. And it means something's accomplished goal. Like when a goal gets accomplished, it's reached its created destiny. It's reached its telos. And it's what Jesus said on the cross. To die, it is finished. Like his work is done. He completed his destined goal on the cross. It's the same exact word here that God says about strength and weakness. How do we, in our lives, get to encounter the power of God? How does the power of God reach its fullness in our life? It's God-designed destiny. I mean, this should be an important question for all of us. How do we get to walk in the fullness of supernatural power that God designed for us as a goal when he created humanity? How do we get to walk in that? Confront weakness. That's what God's message is. My power will reach its designed goal, its created designed goal, when you recognize you're weak and you bring it to me, then I get to be strong through you. That's his message to Paul. Probably because Paul was relying on his own strength too much. Actually, he confessed that in the passage based on all the great things that God had done in his life. He was getting a little conceited and prideful. He was not grounded, not staying grounded in this fundamental humble, abiding weakness, I can't do anything apart from you, God, posture. And so God gave him the good news that, hey, my grace is sufficient. My power is only made perfect in you, in your weakness. So that's why Paul goes on to boast, he says. So I go on to boast, Paul says, all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ, listen to that, may rest upon me. In other words, if you don't feel weak, the power of God is probably not resting upon you. If you feel strong, you're probably doing it on your own strength. Until you've been through this process, which Paul describes. So I boast about my weakness so that the power of God may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I want us to see here, and this is moving beyond last week now, see the progression that happens in Paul's life. God is trying to help Paul understand this spiritual secret, if you will, to having the full power of God, the, the designed goal, the telos, the destiny of God's power flowing through him and upon him and transforming him. And it's that he needs to bring his weakness to God. He needs to feel his weakness. He needs to feel, I can't do this on my own. And instead of trying to do it on my own, I'm going to give it to God. So God's teaching him that lesson so that the power of Christ may rest upon him. And then his conclusion is, so I'm, I'm good with weakness. I bring it to God. And then what's the last thing he says? It's so fascinating. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what he doesn't say? For when I am weak, then God is strong through me. 
But that's what God said, right? My power will be made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, okay, well then I want to learn weakness. I want to learn it so that the power of Christ rests on me. But at the end of it all, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So it's, he shows us that God wants us to be able to take ownership of a process of transformation. That we are not these kind of empty plastic mannequins that the spirit just flows through and we take no part in it. God's trying to show Paul, yes, we need to remain completely and always, desperately, utterly dependent on God. But when we do, we get transformed to become strong through him. That's the transformation of our character that takes place. It's actual and it's real. It requires utter dependence on God, but as his power rests on us, we actually become strong in him. And that's the testimony of Paul. Now, when I am weak, then I am strong. And so there's this call to remain humble in that dependence upon God and our weakness apart from him, but it's in him we are strong. We, you, me, I, Paul says, I am strong because of the power of God that's resting on me and flowing through me. I think that's very significant in that we take ownership of our weakness God's presence and power rests upon us and flows through us. And then we get to know it's part of us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us who has now made us strong. We get to be transformed. This is an absolutely crucial way of life for the believer that Paul is describing or that God's describing to Paul. Paul picks it up and is now sharing it with us. You might want to call it... I, I think it's easy to remember the kingdom strength principle or the kingdom weakness and strength principle. It, that when we acknowledge and confront our weakness or we should acknowledge and confront our weakness so that the power makes us strong. Amen. I want to press into this principle a little bit more through the life of Abram and Sarah. Sarai. I think you can find this in every single hero of the Bible. In fact, I would challenge you, do a Bible study. Find a hero in the Bible that doesn't live out this weakness and strength principle. And I'd love to talk to you about it. I think it's in every single hero. Because it's a fundamental spiritual reality that cannot be run from. If we try to live life on our own strength, what did Jesus say in John 15, 5? Apart from me, you can do nothing of lasting kingdom fruit. So let's look at Abram and Sarai. The kingdom weakness and strength principle at play. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, Abram receives a call on his life, a vision, a promise, a peek into God's will for his life, which you can put yourself in these shoes. You're not going to have the same exact call, but all of the promises of, of God are yes in Jesus. God has this kind of prophetic destiny for each and every single one of us. Not that it's the same thing that we're going to be a, you know, a father of nations necessarily, but as a kingdom advancing warrior for Christ. 
You all have a call on your life. You all have gifts and passions that God has uniquely put inside of you where he has a telos in mind for you on this earth, a destiny where his power flows through you in a way where the kingdom of God advances. That's, that's a privilege uh, of being a child of God. I mean, it goes way back into creation that we're created in his image, meant to rule, meant to extend his kingdom, and all throughout the, the new covenant, promises of Christ. So there is a call on your life, a telos. Abraham's, Abram's was this. God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a pretty good tell us. <laughs> you know who also got it and missed it? His dad. Genesis 11. I just read this this week. Kind of shocking. 31 and 32. Terah, Abram's dad, took his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah, Abram's dad, died in Haran. Just reading the Bible, what do you see? It looks as though before Abram received the call to go from your father's house out of Ur, out of the land of Chaldeans, into the land of Canaan, Abram's father received the exact same call. And he initially responded with obedience, it says, and set out for Canaan. And then mysteriously, and there's no explanation into why, that maybe the journey got challenging, maybe got it hard, maybe he got comfortable, who knows, but he settled. And Tehran's, Tehran, Abram's dad's heroic journey ended. It's right there. He had the same call to get up and leave Ur, go into the land of Canaan. And what it says, these, these words are haunting to me. But he came into Haran and he settled. End of heroic journey. He had a call. And he settled. Ouch. I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> like, that's a side note. I mean, but, okay, here, let's go down the side note a tiny bit more. I think it's a crazy example. What have we been talking about this year? God initiates. God's will is for his kingdom to increase in all of our lives. He gives us calls. His grace is there. He initiates. And then he says, how are you going to respond? That's the parable of the talents. God gives everybody something. Everyone has some type of call on their life that at the end of their life, they're going to stand before God and be accountable to how they stewarded that call. And, and Darren apparently got a call. He took the talent and buried it in Haran. And that's all his story is. So God says, hey, I'm going to try again with Abram. Uh, to me, it's like, whoa. That right there is like haunting of, I don't want to be that line in the story. 
He was called, he started, he settled. Done. Anyways, back to Abram. <laughs> Those are just little Bible study notes as I'm reading. <laughs> Maybe that was just for me. Back to Abram. Kingdom strength and weakness. After several years, Abram has had some, he responds to the call to the best we know at this point in Romans. Uh, where are we? Genesis 12. So he's had some successful adventures. There is an evidence that God is with him in some various outings and excursions, but nothing really looks like this grand promise of father of nations taking place through which all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God is very gracious. Genesis 15, God speaks to him again to encourage him because God knows we need it. At times, we need to be encouraged that the promises of God are still true. And so God speaks to him. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, God. You've given me no offspring. And a member of my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look, Toward the heaven and the number of stars, if you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he credit he counted it to him as righteousness. Romans four picks this up as as the example of faith in the Old Testament, or one of the primary examples. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, but let's look at the human aspect of this. God knows Abraham is struggling. And so God, in his gracious initiative, if you're struggling with a promise, that's okay. Bring it before the Lord. God knows anyways. Don't hide that weakness. Come to him. Let him encourage you. And God preempts it and does it. Says, don't be afraid. What's it? A classic phrase of God, fear not. Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And, and then what? What? We see in Abram that's so beautiful, powerful. He brings his weakness, brings his fears. And God can handle it. God does not rebuke him for it. In fact, God just graciously nuances the promise. And Abraham trusts him. It's this great exchange. What does he say, though? Abraham brings his, his weakness, says, God, what will you give me? I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer. You've given me no offspring. In other words, he's like, God, how are you going to fulfill this promise? It's been years now, and you haven't given me a son. I have no heir to pass on anything to. How am I supposed to be this, you know, father of nations? So he brings his weakness, and God does not rebuke him for it. God instead nuances the promise, encourages him, and says, no, no. You will bear a son. It's right there. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now look up. He goes, look at the stars in the sky. That will be your descendants through your heir. And Abraham believes him. So God graciously encourages him. And Abraham, 
after bringing his weakness, is encouraged again and made strong and believes the Lord. So that's good. Time passes. In fact, over a decade, Abram and Sarai grow impatient with what feels like God not fulfilling his promise, his specific nuanced promise to bring him an heir. To, to bring him an heir that is a son from him, from his body. So he grows, he and Sarah grow, Sarai grow impatient with what feel like God just being slow to fulfill his promise. It's been over a decade though. I mean, it's not a short time. He's getting old. He's up in his 80s. He's, he's waiting 10 years now and God hasn't fulfilled the promise. So here's the classic human response. I'm going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to do this on my own strength, on my own timing, maybe from some of my own agenda. And so y'all know the story, Sarai, and it tells Abram to take Hagar, their servant, her servant, and have an heir through Hagar. So Abraham does. And what we see in the story is that it ends up being nothing but pain and a drama and a mess. And it's so simple, but it's instructive. It's like, and that's supposed to show us that's what happens when we take life on our own strength and do it in our own strength, in our own timing, in our own agenda. After 13 years, which is, so 13 years after Hagar bears Ishmael as a son, 13 more years have passed now. This is all of Genesis 16. And we get the picture that for Abraham and Sarai, Hagar and Ishmael, the definition of their life is struggling, drama, pain. It is not looking like the fulfillment of God's promise. And we see this reality that should absolutely ring true today. Choosing to do things on our own strength, in our own timing, in our own weakness, will and always will make a mess of things. And their lives just are messy. And God shows up, though, in his grace and intervenes again. In Genesis 17, God says this, verse 1. When Abraham was now 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and you may multiply or excuse me, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and said to him, Behold, he said to God, excuse me, wait, slow down. Then Abraham, Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Goes on to talk then about circumcision as the outward expression of that covenant. And then he picks it up and talks about Sarai. Verse 15, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, 
You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, so he's, you know, suggesting that maybe God refine his plan based on Abraham's wisdom. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, God. Just saying, hey, I mean, you know, I know I messed it up. I did it on my own strength. I took it into my own hands. But I made Ishmael. How about him? And he says, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him and as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking to him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money every male among them of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day, as God had said to him. And that's important to remember because that is Abraham's response of faith to this new covenant, to this new description, to this, again, further nuanced promise of God. It's like the... the it's honing in. If you have like a microscope or, or a telescope, it's getting, continuing to get refined from this big picture of I'm going to make you great through all, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed to this I'm struggling and I'm weak, God. And he says, okay, through you, there will be a son. I will give you a son. And so the promise is there. It gets a little more nuanced. Abraham responds in faith for a while until he doesn't, and then he takes it in his own hands, makes Ishmael, he's struggling again, God comes again and says, no, I'm going to further nuance, it will be a son through Sarai, that's the plan from the beginning, but <laughs> apparently you need to have it very clearly spelled out for you, and he again says, okay, I trust you, and responds with the covenant response of circumcision, but let's review some key factors here. Abraham, Abram and Sarai are old. They've never been able to conceive and they are well past childbearing years for that time. And in the midst of that, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. God renews the promise that Abraham will be the father of the multitude of nations and that that will be through Sarai, which is now Sarah. Honestly, at this point, if you're a little cynical, you could say, man, God seems kind of cruel. Is God just toying with their emotions, saying things about them that are patently impossible, dangling ideas in front of them that are too good to be true about their life that maybe they stopped believing a long time ago because it just wasn't happening? For good reason, they're like, oh God, I guess, well, maybe I understood that, taking it in my own hands or just... And in the midst of that low valley that they are in, of barrenness, 
which in a sense is, is screaming them at, at them every day of, God says this was your destiny and it's not happening, ha ha. In that moment, God says the very thing they long for, the telos on their life, the next step that's necessary for God's promises to come through, the goal that God told them he has for their life. God says it's already happened. So sure of that, I'm changing your name. Genesis 17, 5. Your name shall be called Abraham, listen to this, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That's the past tense. Just think about it in reality. Try to place yourself or your own life, your own promises, your own strong sense of destiny that God's put on your life. Put yourself in that position. You believe God for something. You follow him. You trust him. You falter along the way. You try to do it on your own strength. But God in his grace covers that over. And in the midst of your valley of trial and hardship and apparent failure, God shows up and he says, it's time to change your name to reflect who you are that it's already done. Your name shall be called Abraham, which literally means father of a multitude. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And your honest response, or Abraham's honest response, could very well be, no, you haven't, God. I have made you, past tense. God is saying, I'm changing your name because it's done. <laughs> Abraham says, no, I'm the father. I'm not the father of the multitude of nations. I'm, I'm the father of one, you know, illegitimate son. And a bunch of family drama and conflict and shame. That's what I'm the father of. What are you talking about, God? That would be an honest description of his present reality. And God says, no. I'm renaming you father of multitude. Promising that nations and kings will come through you. You are already the father of a multitude of nations. Through your wife Sarai, nations and kings. What is Abraham supposed to say to this? I think it's the kingdom strength and weakness principle. I think God wants, needs, Abraham needs to be in that posture of 2 Corinthians 12.8. My grace is sufficient. For you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And until you're in that heart posture, my power is not going to rest upon you. It will not be perfected. The goal for your life, your destiny that I have given you, the telos of your life will not come to pass unless you are in that posture of, God, this is impossible. I can't do it. And you can just settle like your dad and Heron and forget about it. Or you can get in that weak spot that says, I believe, help my unbelief. God is showing Abram the kingdom weakness and strength principle. When you are weak, 
my power will rest upon you so that you get made strong. And we'll, we'll close with this. I know we're going a little long, but check out the names that God gives them. Yahweh says, from Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. That is the essence. This whole kingdom weakness principle that we're talking about is, I think it's awesome, so beautifully poetic and powerful. It's found right in their names. Their names were both changed by adding the Hebrew, what we say is the H. Now the H is extremely prominent in God's name, Yahweh. It's there twice. It's like the name. In changing their names by adding an H, look at what God does so beautifully, poetically, powerfully, artistically. God is saying that Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, is promising that the power, the power of their life, Abram and Sarai, the power of life, their power of their life, the power on their life, will be found in the fact that God is with them. That God's powerful presence is literally in their name. And that that will make the fulfillment of their destiny possible. On his own, he is just Abram. Father of an illegitimate son, husband to a barren wife. Through covenant relationship with Yahweh, he is Abraham. Father of a multitude of nations. And mother, or husband to Sarah. Mother of nations and kings. Their lives literally got marked by God in their name. God took a part of him and put it in them. That is the essence of covenant. He takes a piece of himself and he gives it, he puts it in them. That's Paul learning to say, when I am weak and the power of God rests upon me, Christ in me, the hope of glory, I come out the other side and say, now I am strong. Because my covenant Yahweh has put himself in me, in relationship. We have shared relationships so intimately now in me and made me new. In their weakness, God's power rests upon them and makes them strong. Let's pray along those lines today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that for each and every single one of us in this room, you have a telos on our life. You have a plan. You have a destiny, a goal. that makes us come fully alive in you and increases and expands your kingdom on this planet. Yet we come to you right now in the, in the heroic journey of Paul, Abram, and Sarai and we collectively want to say, well, Lord, we see it. We see through their example and your words that we need to be in a posture of, God, I cannot do this. So that your power can rest upon us and you 
can make us strong. I want to encourage us right now to take a quiet minute and be asking the Holy Spirit where is he wanting to show this kingdom strength and weakness principle to you very personally right now in your life and actually have in a sense right now that maybe it's not necessarily in this huge grand narrative of the telos of your life in the sense like Abraham and Sarah for this you know, the big destiny way in which God will use you. I'm having a sense right now that for some, the most important thing is just in those day-to-day moments of interacting with your family, your spouse, your kids, at work, yourself, that there's some weakness there that God's wanting to reveal and say, hey, come to me in that weakness where you see that bad fruit in your life and you know it's not Holy Spirit fruit. That's a telos moment right there. God, the telos for our lives is that we would bear the fruit of the Spirit as we abide in Him in our weakness. Then we will bear much fruit. So I just, I believe that God's wanting to put some revelation on some areas that they're just daily grind. And you know God has better fruit. If it's that or maybe if it's a, a, a huge big one. Let's take a quiet minute and just have a conversation between you and the Lord. Bring that weakness to him and trust that as, Abraham, as he did with Abraham, there is grace for forgiveness, cleansing, and to renew his promises. And so you can grab onto those things and through his gracious strength, become strong. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us to what you want to say to each one of us today. All right. Before we close and pray, I I felt like I was just getting um, a word from the Lord relative to exactly what uh, Casey was talking about right now and um, what we're listening to the Lord for. And I felt this um, sense in kind of the Lord's finger on the place of strength being in coming to him and drinking. So if you're feeling powerless, if you're feeling the lack of movement of his spirit, if you feel like you're not partnering with him for his promises, whether it's a large, big, you know, like the painted, you know, the broad scheme of things of your life, or whether it's the dailies, and it should be both, the dailies of the strength to transform, the strength to make a relationship right, and to walk with Jesus in the dance in that process of what that looks like when you don't have an all of a sudden breakthrough of what you know God wants to bring into your life. Um, And I feel like there's also just the, the strength not to give up. But I felt like I, I, he gave me an image and it was um, a picture of a person on a desert island. And you know, desert islands, they're hot, right? 
they're hot and you would really quickly grow very famished and kind of like just die, you know, or just, you know, give up or whatever if you don't drink. But I saw this person um, drinking, it was a coconut, you know, that you open up and they had a straw, which I don't know how you have a straw on a desert island, but it was the picture, right? So it was just the straw and they were drinking and I just felt like I heard his words, come and drink, come and drink, let me fill you. Don't look at the impossible, don't look at the weakness, don't sit there and dwell on the weakness. You know, the world and all of the problems and all of our inabilities and all of the problems with the people and the things and everything, it's always going to be really loud. But let's practice taking every thought captive. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, taking every thought captive for me looks like this. (laughs) And I listen to him and I look at him. What are you saying about this situation? What are you saying? What, what's going to be my act of faith to partner with you in this situation? And I'm going to share with you a really silly one. So there was this package that got like lost and seemed impossible to get to my house. And it's like a whole bunch of money. And I'm like, oh, God. And I'm feeling stressed about it. And I feel him say to me, you know, beckoning me, get out of your mind And that place of all of the things and everything's loud and all of the chaos and everything is bad and this is all messing up. Close your eyes. You know, I plug my ears, close my eyes, and just, what are you saying? Come to him and drink. It's amazing how just getting in his word and praying can just settle you, transform you. It almost tunes your station to his station you know, if you think about a radio, you get all, there's all sorts of frequencies out there, but it tunes your station to his station. And um, I felt like he gave me this act of faith to do, right? And um, so I don't have the package. There's all this kind of like basically money lost in the, you know, abyss of a lost package that just seems to have disappeared. And the Lord showed me this picture of, um, you know, like a little kid when either they're, you know, on a lake or in a bath or whatever, but they have a toy boat. And, you know, you can blow on the boat and the boat moves, right? And he, the Lord gave me this picture of going like this as an act of faith and blowing the package to me. <laughs> So all week, and I still felt fear. It's not like I was perfect. I'm I'm not like, oh, I'm so childlike. I'm so full of faith. Praise Jesus. I was kind of like in between, you know, kind of like a double personality kind of person, you know, where I'm like, "Ah, ah," and then I'm like, no, (sighs) you know, believing God, "Ah, no, (laughs) you know, it's where it's not perfect. We don't need to pretend he died because we're not perfect. And there's grace. There's so much grace. And I didn't do it right. You know, I didn't do it perfectly. I probably had more fear than faith, if I'm honest with you. But that package arrived. And so my point is, come and drink, because that's where the power is. And partner with him in those little acts of faith that he gives you to do, whether sometimes it's, it's a prayer, it's a declaration. It's going to be unique every time. You know, when Jesus spit in his hands and, you know, open, the, open, you know, was it ears or eyes and probably both and, you know, and then go wash here, go do this. It was different. 
But whenever you're plugged in to his voice, to his presence, like John 10, abiding with him, there will be the fruit. And when you're not, there won't be. The Lord gave me a vision uh, picture this week as he was, he's kind of teaching me this new way of life, this childlike way of life of shut down what you're hearing and seeing in the world. What am I saying? What am I doing? And picture a vacuum cleaner. If it's not plugged into the wall and you turn it on, there is no power. It's dead. But when it's plugged into the power source, it's powerful, right? So I just want to encourage us as we listen to him to abide in him. And we don't need to feel powerful. We don't need to feel powerful. I felt like a silly child. I didn't feel like, I have so much faith. And as I blow, I know it's moving. And maybe you're there. I wasn't. I'm just sharing with you in my weakness that his grace is sufficient his power is mighty. His presence is in us. His resurrection power as we walk in faith as children and speak out his words and partner with him, we can expect that his kingdom is splitting through the atmosphere and transforming earth. Dance a new dance like David.